It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. The gaming industry is in a state of flux, particularly in Las Vegas, with the challenges of coronavirus and competition. My guest is the perfect person to talk about the future of the industry. He's Roger Gross, publisher of Global Gaming Business, the industry's leading gaming trade publication and all its related publications. For everything about Roger and Global Gaming Business, go to ggbmagazine.com and you can follow Roger on Twitter at Global Gaming Biz with a Z. Roger, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ira. It's always fun to get together with you, whether it's virtual or in person. Exactly. <laughs> I, was, I, I, th- I was thinking back to when we met, and it must have been in around the 84, 86 area when you were involved with Casino Journal Publishing Group originally. And of course, right. you've got on to so many other things. There's Casino Connection, et cetera. But I think your main business now is, as we talked about global gaming business, and I want to talk about that in a little while, as well as your background. But to the larger picture, will Las Vegas and gaming in general return to any level prior to coronavirus? Well, I think uh, Las Vegas always survives and thrives, So, uh, but it, it will be different. I mean, uh, you know, when you walk through the casinos now and you see the plexiglass shields and uh, everybody wearing masks and things like that, you know, things are already different, and, and some of those things will, will stay. I mean, the, I think the social distancing that we're going through right now will be will stay, and I think that's actually a good thing because, you know, who wants to be jammed next to somebody playing a slot machine shoulder to shoulder, you know? So I think the casino industry will, will change, but, but I think it will come back, maybe not with, to the same level in terms of, of gambling dollars, but I think in terms of, of tourism, I think Las Vegas is in good shape, and all the good things that were supposed to happen in 2020 will now happen a little bit later, but they will help to bring Las Vegas back. Do you think that because we have so many segments within Las Vegas, marketing segments, we have gaming, but we also have the room revenue, we have the conventions, we have entertainment, and we have dining, food and beverage. I'm thinking that of all those segments that entertainment may be hit the worst because of the fact that you have the social distancing. Am I somewhat correct in my analysis? I'll leave it to you to, to make that decision. Yeah, I think initially uh, the last thing we'll, we'll see come back, although it's kind of neck and neck between conventions and, and meetings, uh, will be entertainment. Uh, just because, uh, you know, you can't really put, uh, you know, uh, 5,000 people in a theater right now. I think maybe a year from now we'll start to consider that. But I think, you know, for, for the foreseeable future, it, it may uh, change. But you know, I was having a discussion yesterday with somebody about how we, all, we both thought the lounge acts would come back, you know. The old Sam Buteras and uh, Keely Smith and uh, all the great lounge uh, singers and, and acts that we used to have in the old days. People come to Las Vegas looking for entertainment. Why not bring back some of those lounges with the social distancing, uh, with six feet between tables and things like that? That would be fun, and it would be it would be kind of like a blast from the past. So I'm hoping uh, entertainment will come back sooner rather than later, but in a different form. I was talking to Frankie Shinta about that, and I think you're right in that. The larger entertainment venues are a little bit tough, but in a lounge setting, you don't have to have as big a nut to crack in terms of profit. And if you really want to go back to the early days of gaming, the lounges were lost leaders anyway, as the showrooms were. So sure. you, you could afford to have an entertainer in a lounge 
and have that, as you said, the social distancing and still make it work, at least to have some excitement beyond the casino area. Yeah, no question. And I also think that maybe some of the larger venues now will be home to maybe some of the not-so-important acts, the acts that don't cost a fortune. You can still have the arena there with the social distancing and still you know, make, make a buck here or there, at least, at least uh, bring people in, into your property. So, I, you know, again, I think it's going to take a lot of imagination from the entertainment directors, but if anybody can do it, it's those guys that are some of the most talented people in the business. Right. The adaptability aspect of this is fascinating to me. The casinos, once they reopen, you mentioned earlier the plexiglass. And also, let's talk about a little bit about the reframing or renaming, in essence, or rebranding of the buffet, which now is somewhat the buffet, but it's, the food is brought to you. Right. That whole food and beverage outlet thing is a little different. What's the food court going to look like now in, in a casino? You know, I was reading uh, about the win buffet, quote unquote. But, you know, the wind buffet, really, you really can't compare that to any other buffet because it was always expensive. It's still very expensive, $60, you know, and, and buffets in other places are, are you know, nineteen ninety nine. you know. And uh, can you do that personal service? Can you, can you actually put on more personnel to deliver the food to the table? I mean, the, the buffet was already a loss leader. Uh, you know, what's that going to do to the price of the buffet? And, and will customers you know, really, really go for it. Who knows? Well, do you think that the the corporate bean counters, as we all like to call them in Las Vegas, maybe they take a look at the original model of Las Vegas. And even though it may be, as you say, a loss leader for the buffet, if it's bringing people in or keeping them longer in your place, wouldn't you want to do that, even if you're not making a, a total great profit off a particular segment within the casino? Yeah, and I, again, you know, when, when it comes to that kind of thing of bringing people back in to Vegas and getting them more comfortable here, it's going to take a lot of imagination, and I think we've seen that with some of the early openings here. Yeah, you know, the the parking fees are gone, some of the resort fees are gone, uh, and and you know maybe they're gone for good. I mean, we're all hoping they are because I right. think that that really has damaged Las Vegas. Agreed. If you have uh, executives with that kind of imagination who can figure out you know things that will attract people, make Vegas a value destination again, you know I think we'll, we'll come back sooner rather than later. Among those changes that could happen as a result of the coronavirus, and we talked a little bit about it earlier with the plexiglass and, and social distancing, there's another element that's been a part of the gaming industry forever. And one of your columnists wrote about it. And if people want to go to your website, as I said, it's ggbmagazine.com. There's a column by Andrew, and I hope I pronounce his name right, Kibano? Klebanow. Klebanow. Thank you. Right. I had trouble figuring that one out. At any rate, he, <laughs> he, wrote, he wrote a column uh, called The Elephant in the Room, and it talked about non-smoking or banning smoking in casinos. And from your perspective, do you think that that can happen, and is this the right time for that to happen, where it's not necessarily a regulatory decision, but it's a decision by the big giants of the gaming industry to, you know what, let's get rid of it now, and you know we'll have designated areas right outside the casino for people to smoke. Yeah, I, I think... I think Andrew is completely correct. I think this is a, the perfect time to do it. It's a great opportunity to do it. You know, smoking as as much as the the, the players love to smoke. I mean, there's a there's been you know surveys done. Around 30 percent of the players are, are smokers in the large the, the big players. So you know that that will impact them a little bit. But there's also surveys been done that show 
yeah, you'll take a revenue hit for, for maybe a, a year, but those players come back. That revenue comes back because they get used to it, just like they do in, in the rest of society. I mean, where can you smoke now? You know, in maybe in a few bars in Vegas, but you go out of Nevada, you there, you know, no smoking in any establishment. So they'll get used to it, and uh, and of course, you know, the cost it is for uh, for casinos in terms of cleanliness. And now everything's, you know, around cleanliness. Everything needs to be clean and safe and, and uh, sanitized. So if we can get rid of smoking right now, I, I think the casinos will save a lot of money just on that and the, the cleaning stuff. And then, and then the, the revenue will come back eventually when the players get used to it. I think especially if that happens across the board, I know that there were experiments early on in Las Vegas, and you were here at the time, Silver, sure, City, right. Silver City, for example, went non-smoking as a way of right. distinguishing themselves. I don't think it was overly successful. My memory of it was walking in there and because the cigarette smoking wasn't going on, I smelled the booze more readily coming from the <laughs> bar. So <laughs> that was that was my experience right. with the well, then, you know, They went out of business, so it was, it was yeah. definitely not, not a uh, yeah. success. But, but we've seen properties that have been a success just recently. I mean, that that experiment was done 20 years ago now. At right, least. So, right. Uh, so the you know, society wasn't ready for it now, but they are now. Everybody's, everybody's used to no smoking in any establishment. So it's just a, another step that the casinos can take. And, of course, the health of their employees. I remember when I was a dealer sitting on a blackjack table dealing to uh, to customers who were blowing smoke in my face. You know, that was not pleasant. I, I've never been a smoker. So it was it was very unpleasant for me. And, and I think uh, employees deserve to have a safe and clean uh, uh, working atmosphere. So hopefully uh, they'll be able to do that you know, pretty quickly. And from your experience and perspective, do you think that that requires a regulation from the Gaming Control Board or that it is something, as I mentioned earlier, that if the majors start doing that, then everybody else will follow suit? Yeah, I, I, I personally don't like it when, when the regulators get involved in this kind of thing. I think it should be uh, a movement from inside the industry to kind of show the social corporate responsibility for the big companies. And, and also, uh, you know, I, I actually wouldn't mind if there's a few casinos that allow smoking. If you choose to smoke, you can go to these casinos. And if you want to find a place where there is no smoking, you go to a place where there's no smoking. I think it's a, it's a business decision, not a regulatory decision. Do you see, though, that there might be some modification as an example? Let's take a big casino. They might designate one small enclosed area of the casino strictly for their smoking customers. I, sure. I mean, uh, look at uh, McCarran Airport. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you could uh, you could just pick up one of those slot lounges and then dump it into a casino. There. Right. Right. So yeah, I, I mean, yeah. I mean, like I say, anything is a possibility, and I I prefer to see it as a business decision rather than a uh, rather than than a regulatory edict. If I had to uh, hold your feet to the fire and get, and have you give a prediction as to when and if this might happen, but if it did, would it be within this period of time where everything else is being reimagined? Yeah, I think especially now with the mask uh, regulation in place in, in most of the major casino locations, now's the time to do it. I would like to see it done within the next few months. You know, I mean, again, you know, for the employee's sake and also for, for the sake of other gamblers. I think most people, you know, as I said, 30% of the people smoke, but that means 70% don't. So let, let's cater to the larger group of, of our customers rather than the smaller ones. I think it would also help not only the, the employees, but the dry cleaning bills of the casinos. <laughs> That's for sure. Getting, yeah. getting all that, uh, that smoke out. <laughs> do, you, do you see any other changes because of the coronavirus? We talked a little bit about some of them, but are there others coming down the pike that you see that we may not be aware of either on the 
casino floor, food and beverage, conventions, dining? Uh, on the casino floor, you know, our cover story this month is about cashless gaming. And, you know, cash is, I, I think I called it the space shuttle for germs, you know. <laughs> you, you know, you, you get on a dollar bill, boom, there you go. You know, and right. it, it, it passes from one to another. So it's a really big incentive right now for cashless gaming. But this was going on even before COVID-19 uh, hit us. There was a lot of movement towards that because, I mean, these days, you know, you, you do all your transactions on your phone or you, you, if, you're, if you're in a store, you just put your phone or your your credit card in and you know and, and it's it's just contactless you know which is the the big go-to word now so i think you're going to see that happen much much sooner than later uh, we've already saw the the gaming commission yesterday in nevada uh, approved certain certain aspects of cashless gaming so i think it's just a matter of time and and, and it's going to happen way more quickly because of covid than than it would have happened in the past what do you think about the old school or and or paranoid casino customers that want to pay by cash, they don't want to be tracked. Well, you know, um, in, in the old days, you know, people wanted to see, hear those coins coming out of the machine. They, that, if you remember when they did the ticket in, ticket out right. uh, thing in, in the late 90s, it was, a, it was a complete failure for the first few years. But then the casinos kind of, kind of pushed people toward it. And uh, and there was nothing you could do. I mean, there were no more coin slots in the machine. So you had to you know, put in the dollars and get the tickets out. So, you know, I, I think there'll, there'll be a little bit of, uh, of, of uh, anonymity, I think, to a certain extent, if, you know, if you, in, in this cashless uh, routine. But I think, you know, I think most people, like you're saying, this, this is what, how we conduct business these days. So they're, they're going to be used to it. And, and it's really good. You know, I, I always like to point out that it's really good for people who might have problems with the gambling, because then you see, you know, how much money is going in there. If you want if you want to uh, self-exclude right now uh, and you put your name on that list and, and the only way you can do it is through through transactions, you no way you're going to do that. So, you know, this will actually help people with problem gambling, uh, you know, get over that addiction one way or the other. Do you think that the hotels and the casinos will come up with a way to have a cashless tipping or gratuity process so that the bellman, the valet, room service, et cetera, Will there be a way to do that where you can tip, uh, give a gratuity without having to actually, as you said, use that little cash that spreads the germs around? Right. I think eventually they will, but, you know, I'm old school, so I'd rather just, just hand the guy five bucks when, when he takes my car or, or carries my bags to my room. You know, I think uh, they appreciate that more. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there's a way to do it, but uh, but I kind of like that that personal touch. and. You know, I, I'm not, never going to give up carrying cash anyways. So. I, I agree with you. And I also like the idea that a, a full valet becomes unfull as soon as you whip out a couple of bucks. So. <laughs> right, exactly. Right, right. Put it over here. I'll be, I'll be right out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a break. My guest, Roger Gross, is publisher of Global Gaming Business. It's the industry's leading gaming trade publication and all its related publications. For everything about Roger and Global Gaming Business, go to GGB magazine.com and follow Roger on Twitter at Global Gaming Biz. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more Talk About Las Vegas with Ira in just a moment. You think you know Vegas? But how much do you really know about this neon city? See the dark side of the bright lights at the Ma Museum where you can explore how a tough little town transformed into a gaming metropolis with a little help from organized crime. 
You won't find these stories of lawbreakers and law enforcement, mob bosses, and prosecutors anywhere else. The Mob Museum in downtown Las Vegas. More information at themobmuseum.org. Now let's get back to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Welcome back. I'm talking with Roger Gross. He's publisher of Global Gaming Business, the industry's leading gaming trade publication. For everything about Roger and Global Gaming Business, go to ggbmagazine.com and you can follow Roger on Twitter at Global Gaming Biz. Roger, let's talk a little bit about your publication because I always lose track. You are always running, besides Global Gaming Business, other versions of gaming publications. And how many of them are there now or are there less than there were, say, 10 years ago and more targeted, so to speak? Our competition has kind of thinned out in the past few years just because of the migration away from print to uh, to online. So we've, we've kind of gone with that. So we have a bunch of online publications. Uh, one is a, a weekly publication called GGB News, which is released every Monday morning, kind of wrapping up the uh, the week before and getting you ready for, for the, the following week. And, and you can actually uh, go to that website, ggbnews.com, and subscribe for free by using the GGB 180 code when you when you fill out the subscription form. So that's something we, we've uh, recently done. Uh, we, we also come out uh, with daily updates on the COVID-19 crisis in that publication. And, uh, and they're all uh, unique content. Every, month, every morning, you'll see uh, a different story about a different element of the crisis. So uh, that one is, is uh, good. We also publish a uh, annual publication called Casino Style, which focuses on the design and, and construction of casinos, a lot of architecture and theories about how casinos should be designed in there. Uh, we also have a tribal government gaming that we do once a year, coordinated with the, uh, the National Indian Gaming Association trade show, all about tribal gaming. And finally, we have a G2E preview, which I don't know if it's going to come out this year because we don't know if G2E is going to be held, which is a big industry trade show. So, so those are our publications. We also have I also have a business, affiliate marketing business in online gaming uh, in states where it's illegal called iGamingPlayer.com. Uh, we tell players where to, where to go to get the best deals and, and, uh, and how, to, uh, how, how to play online gaming. I mean, it's a, it's a little different than uh, gambling in a casino, but it's a, a lot of fun. And, and during this pandemic, uh, online gaming has exploded in those states, but not in Nevada, unfortunately, because we don't have it here. Do you think we ever will have online gaming here? I think well, we 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 have online poker here, right. but there's really only one company that participates in it, the uh, World Series of Poker. So it's kind of limited. But I think we'll definitely have online gaming, given the fact that New Jersey has done so well during the pandemic. Uh, this the uh, the online gaming revenues have increased, have doubled, and 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 more than doubled in uh, most of the months of this pandemic. And which has produced a lot of tax revenue for the states. So while revenues dropped in New Jersey, gaming revenues dropped. They only dropped 65 percent because the rest of that was online gaming revenues. Whereas in Nevada, we dropped 100 percent. So uh, it's it's a difficult decision for them to make here in Nevada. But I think it's it's the correct decision because this is the future of gaming. You know, you got to have both online and bricks and mortar places, and uh, and you can join them together and market each of them to the benefit of, of, of the other. So uh, I think it's something that Nevada has to do, and I think it will happen you know, within the uh, next couple of years for sure. You've been doing this a long time, and you always are passionate about the industry and all elements involved in gaming. How do you maintain that interest? You know, 
It's funny. Back in the '90s, uh, we, we, my company, that Casino Journal, back then, we said, "Well, we 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 can, uh, you know, study gaming. We can cover gaming. We can do the same thing for hotels." So for a couple of years, I went off and followed the hotel industry, and I found it to be totally boring. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we had you'd have the Lowe's and the Tishes that ran the, the big hotel corporations and the Hiltons and things like that. And uh, but at the time we had Donald Trump and Steve Wynn, you know, sniping at each other. And uh, that was really interesting. It's always interesting when that happens. Gaming has always been a fascinating uh, topic for me just because it's so interesting and there's so many things happening. And I just happened to to jump in at the right time when it was expanding across the country. Uh, You know, at first it was it was riverboats and then it was tribal gaming. And, uh, you know, then then it's been the casinos in Macau are just an amazing uh, situation over there. So uh, it's just been a, a great, great run. Because you found the gaming aspect more interesting than the hotel area of it, which, of course, sometimes they're mixed up, especially when a hotel sure, or a casino right. are in it. But if you're looking at the casino industry, and you've been part of it for so long, and I, I'd like to mention you received the Lifetime Achievement Award from the American Gaming Association in 2012. And you, you've been, as far as I remember, you've always been involved in this. From your point of view, can you name and not necessarily currently, but throughout history, from your history, the top three gaming executives that you feel are well, the top three in the industry and why? Sure. And I think, I think Steve Wynn has to be at the top of that. And I, I work for, for Steve in New Jersey as, as a dealer, just as a lowly dealer. It wasn't like I, I uh, had a lot of access to him. But he used to come down uh, and when, the, when the, it was slow, and he'd actually sit at the game with us dealers and, and talk about the industry. Uh, you know, I learned, learned about Las Vegas from him because I was just an Atlantic City boy back then, and uh, he, he taught us all, all about Las Vegas. He, 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 the first time I ever heard, heard the name Jay Sarno, it came out of Steve Wynn's lips, you know, and, and uh, I, his, his uh, interpersonal relationship with his employees and his customers were just second to none. Then, of course, his, his design capabilities were, were, were unbelievable, you know. So, so I would certainly put him at the top of the list because he's, uh, he's a legend in the business for sure. Um, you know, when you go back to uh, even a little further, I, I think you got to look at Bill Hara. Uh, like I, I didn't know Bill Harrah personally, but I've I've seen uh, the progeny that he produced over the years from people like Phil Satry and and uh, Mike Rose and and people that played big roles in developing the industry. They they took their cue from from Bill Harrah, and again his his uh, his dedication to the customers and the employees was was second to none as well. So uh, you know he, he was very important in the industry, and uh, I don't think. The Harris Caesars properties have really kept up his his legacy at all. In fact, the first casino that he opened, Harris Reno, has just recently closed. So, uh, you know, that, I, I thought he was rolling over in his grave at that point. You know, but you know, he he was certainly very important in in getting the industry started. You know, and then I think on the, on the political side, I think Frank Farenkopf as the head of the the first president of the American Gaming Association, where he he stayed for 17 years. He was crucial in, in getting federal uh, the federal government to kind of kind of lay off casinos at that point. You know, uh, it was we, there was always kind of some sort of federal threat whether they would they would you know investigate the casino industry and maybe even shut it down. 
Frank was really important in in uh, in maintaining uh, the reputation of the industry and and really getting it out there and 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 really rallying the the uh, the employees and executives and the players, frankly, around uh, gaming and why why it, it uh, you know wasn't the evil thing that that people thought it was back in the 70s when uh, and back in the 40s basically when when the mob ran it. So uh, you know he, he was a really important part in the industry too. So I think that without those three guys, gaming gaming wouldn't be where it is. And you're looking at gaming today. Is there one or two major players that you see at the level of the ones you just mentioned? Or even if they're not at that level, is there one person or two people that are making changes or leading the way in the industry today? Sure. Well, that's an interesting question, something I've pondered for, for the last couple of years. I mean, there really is nobody at that Steve Wynn level now, but there are some people who really have a lot of uh, of innovation. And one of those people is is Derek Stevens. Uh, you know, he's he's really revived the downtown area of Las Vegas with the casinos that that he bought, the Golden Gate and the D. And uh, now he's building Circo, which is the first new casino in the downtown district in over over 40 years. So uh, actually, the first one built from scratch in, in over 50 years. So, uh, you know, it, it's an amazing uh, story that he, he has to tell there. And, uh, and uh, you know, I think he's, he's really probably a visionary the way, the way Wynn was back in those days. And I don't expect this, is, this will be his last rodeo either. He's going he's gonna to continue to develop, whether it be downtown or, or elsewhere. Uh, he's he's going to be somebody leading the way in the industry, you know, for the, for the next uh, decade, I think. You know, he's an important player. He's an interesting mix because he's, a, as you say, a visionary, but at the same time, he's old school. So it's a mix of the yeah, two. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and, and and just like Hara, Bill Hara, and and Steve Wynn, he he puts uh, the most emphasis on his customers and on his employees. You know, it, it, you can't really uh, the D, you know, which was the old Fitzgeralds in the old days. You know, that was kind of just bones, and 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 he he put some some bells and whistles on it, but uh, but really, it, you know, it's his approach to to the customers. I think one of the, mo- the more interesting things he did was just a few weeks ago when he he when Las Vegas was opening up, he he gave away a thousand, eventually came two or three thousand uh, free flights to Las Vegas. You know, and they were snapped up in in a heartbeat. You know, so. You know, he got a lot of publicity for the city, you know, just by having a brilliant idea like that. So, so he's a really, really uh, somebody who I think we have to keep an eye on in, in this industry. And a great promoter as well, based on what yeah, you were no just question. talking about. Yep. Yeah. Interesting thing about downtown, from your perspective, do you see the downtown rebounding as well as you think the Strip will over time? Or will downtown lag behind the Strip? Or is it because it's a slightly different market that it's apples and oranges? It is kind of apples and oranges, but I think it, it'll rebound quicker than, than the Strip because there's a little element of locals down there as well. It's also a, a younger demographic, which uh, which I think is really important in this era, particularly you know when people come come out of the pandemic, come out of their their houses. You know, it's the young people that want to get out and start partying again. You know, so so I think. You know, Derek, along with with the Fremont Street uh, owners down there, I think you're going to see some really interesting uh, marketing events and things like that that are going to going to really uh, revive that area. You know, quicker than the Strip at this point. And the challenge for the Fremont Street experience is obviously the people walking around making sure they have masks on as well. Right. So that problem. That, yeah. yeah. Last question: How do you see yourself in the gaming industry in, in, for the next five years? More involved, less well, involved, or just always being being involved, as Roger Gross well, is. Well, you know, I'm I'm trying to get a, a little exit strategy here, but uh, this 
this pandemic put a little crimp in that. So, uh, so I'm just, I, I just want to want to uh, get get the word out about gaming as I've always done in my career, and then talk about you know how we're going to get back to where we were, you know how how uh, the how important the industry is to the communities where it's located, and I think there's, we're seeing that you know more and more here, uh, you know as we as we come out of this because. You know, we've seen great crowds in, in all the locals' destinations, the regional casinos, and, and even to a certain amount on the Strip. So uh, I think uh, the industry is really important to, to the future of the country, and I think, uh, you know, that's going to be my my, uh, my swan song. If you, if you want. <laughs> but, I also, but I also think online gaming is, is an important uh, growth element as well. And, you know, our, our website, iGaming Player, you know, we focus on content for the players, and, and I, think, uh, I think that's going to be an important uh, growth area, too. So not only are we going to come back, you know, in the bricks and mortar casinos, but I think the addition of online gaming in the states where it doesn't exist, and that's basically most of the states right now, uh, that's going to be an important element in the return of the casino industry as well. Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been Roger Gross. He's publisher of Global Gaming Business, the industry's leading gaming trade publication and all its related publications. For everything about Roger and Global Gaming Business, go to ggbmagazine.com and you can follow Roger on Twitter at Global Gaming Biz with a Z. Roger, thanks for being on the show. It's great to be here, Ira. It's, it's fun talking to you, as always. Thanks. Appreciate it. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Yeah,